here we go. Let's talk a little bit. I've got so many things on my heart that I want to share. So, uh, you know, um, I was doing my podcast for tomorrow today because I was gone last week. And um, so I'm a little bit in arrears behind, but I'm not bad. I actually like to do it right when it's actually going to be presented. So I did the one tomorrow today. And uh, uh, the Lord led me to talk about, you know, we are living, uh, how many believe that we're living just prior to the coming of Jesus? Now, I've been saying that all my life. I say it on Sundays a lot, but really, um, and what I thought about, and I meant put it on the podcast today, you know, Susan's had four children, and if I ask for a show of hands, a bunch of the ladies in here have had kids, and you know, before you have children, you know, um, I don't know, y'all tell me, ladies, if I'm wrong, somewhere around between six and seven months, you you start feeling those Braxton Hicks contractions in your womb, right? Yes or no? And it starts a little bit light, you know, because Susan would be sitting there, go, I say, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? And she'd say, well, I felt something. And then, you know, you got seventh month, seven month, a few weeks, eight months, you know, you start really feeling them stronger the closer the time comes to having the baby. And she did it with all four babies. So, so that's where we are right now. We're in Braxton Hicks contractions, spiritually speaking. It ain't time yet. Nothing's really started rolling yet, but we're really, really close. Does that make sense? So Braxton Hicks feels like a contraction. Ladies tell me I've never had one, but they tell me it feels kind of like one, but it's not maybe as strong, but it's a pseudo contraction because it's really not making anything happen. But that's where we're at right now worldwide in every possible way. And at some point it could happen really quickly, return a corner, and here we go into uh, the time period just before Jesus comes back. Listen to the uh, podcast tomorrow. I also mentioned it's really uncanny. It's like amazing that Daniel had a real concern for uh, Israel and because they had disobeyed God. And during Daniel, the whole book of Daniel, Daniel was in Babylonian captivity because of the disobedience of the Jews. They had disobeyed God. They worshiped false God. It was just awful. But one thing, uh, God told them to, to let the land rest every seventh year. That's called, I think, the Shemitah. And, and they didn't do it for 490 years, so seven, 70 times seven. Every seventh year for 490 years, they missed that land rest Sabbath. And God told Jeremiah the prophet, you know, you guys have disobeyed me for 490 years, so I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You didn't let the land rest. It's going to rest all at once. So there's the Babylonian captivity. So Daniel caught wind of what Jeremiah said, and he got to pray, Lord, forgive our, forgive our sins. You go read Daniel 9, the first number of verses, maybe through about verse, I don't know, 20 or so. Uh, yeah, and, and he's praying, he's beleaguered over his nation and their disobedience to God and their waywardness and how God wanted to bless him and God made a covenant, they broke the covenant, yada, yada. And he's just standing in the gap for his country, interceding and standing in the gap for somebody else, right? So he stood in the gap for Israel. And uh, then he said, God, you know, and, and, and so he, 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 while he was doing that, an angel appeared to him and spoke to him and said, now, 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 you know, his 490 years of, of Israel's previous history. Let me show you 490 years into the future. Right? That obviously got Daniel's, got Daniel's attention. And so, the, the, so the, the angel showed him. And, and what I want to share, and I got to hurry up and just listen to the podcast tomorrow. Um, he showed him in three phases, 490 years of Israel's future. God's not through with the nation of Israel. If you go to read Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11, they are the people of God. They're not saved. They, they have to go to heaven just the way you do. They've got to be born again. But those are the people from which our Messiah came. They are the children of Abraham, and we are children of Abraham by faith in Christ, right? 
so, so they're in the natural heirs. We're the spiritual heirs. Uh, but uh, anyway, God still has some dealings with Israel. They've been set aside because of unbelief. And, and we've been carved into the family of God. God's grafted us into his family tree because of the disobedience of the Jews. If you go read Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, we've been grafted in because of that. Uh, but God still has a love for the Jewish race because that's from whence Jesus came. And then, of course, God made promises to Abraham and every promise God has ever made, he always keeps. That's why we can know that regardless of what kind of volatility we're facing, God is always going to meet our needs because he always honors his word. And if you'll stand and act on God's word and act like his promises are true, God, God will absolutely come through for you. How many hear what I just said? I don't care how beleaguered it seems, how tough it seems on the outside. God always comes through for his people. So when he showed that to Daniel, he showed three, three sec- segments of time, and, and two of them have come to pass exact. So from the time that King Artaxerxes allowed um, Israel to rebuild their walls in 444 B.C. to the time that Jesus died was a period. Well, actually, let me start. Uh, let, me, let me back it up and say it a different way. So from the time that King Artaxerxes gave the command to the Israelites to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they came back from Babylonian captivity in 444 B.C., it took 49 years for them to build the walls. 49 years. And so, and so if you go look at Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he gives three segments of time. The first one came back exactly. It did. It took it, uh, uh, seven sevens, 49 years it's going to take, he said, for the walls to be rebuilt. The angel told Daniel. Secondly, he said, from the time the walls are rebuilt until the Messiah, the prince, the Messiah is cut off is 434 years. Now, you don't have to get your calculators out. I'll tell you how to do the math. 434 plus 49 equals what? 483. Is that true? So if God showed Daniel 490 years of Israel's future, 483 of it have already come to pass. God's time clock for Israel cut off, cut off when, when Jesus was, was crucified. And, and that's it. And it hadn't cut back on yet. But it's these, there's seven more years of Jewish history to be fulfilled. And that's what people typically call the tribulation. That, now, you, I'll give you one, I have it. I'll give you $1,000 cash. That made you think, didn't it? I will give you $1,000 cash. If you can find in the Bible where it calls that time period, seven-year period, the tribulation. It's not there. Jesus calls the last three and a half years the great tribulation, but nobody ever called. He said you will have tribulation. He didn't call it the tribulation, but we call it the tribulation, so I understand. It's really Daniel's 70th week, a week of years, seven years left. That's how we know that just before Jesus comes back, there are seven years of time to be fulfilled, and that time period is going to start, according to Daniel 9, 27, with... uh, with the person uh, that we call Antichrist, who will be some kind of a leader, probably, probably somewhere in the Middle East, etc. You know, I think, uh, and I'm not going to say who I think it is, but anyway, uh, he's going to come on the scene and make some kind of a treaty, uh, some kind of a, a an arrangement with Israel. Uh, the word is a little bit vague there, so you could translate it with different 
with different English words, but nonetheless, some kind of a treaty that's going to last at least seven years. And three and a half years into that, this person that makes the treaty with Israel is going to, is going to back up on his, on his agreement with them, start persecuting them. Israel we have, will have built, rebuilt a temple, not a rig, real massive one, probably like um, Moses, um, you know, what he, the tabernacle that they, you know, in, in the wilderness as they wandered the wilderness, be like that really quick, like a tent built really quickly. The Jews will actually start back with their Jewish sacrifices, and you can do the reading and find out that they've already got the utensils, they're ready, and they're looking for the right kind of uh, animals to kill and slay, and they've got the priests already set up and all that. That has nothing to do with them being saved. That's just they don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. They're still in unbelief. But that's going to happen before Jesus comes back. Antichrist comes in and desecrates that place. And, uh, and then all hell breaks loose and he persecutes Jews and Christians in a big way. So that's where we, we're just right on the cusp of, of those kinds of things happening. And um, uh, didn't mean to get all into the weeds there, but it did. But uh, you can look for So let me talk about Ukraine What's going on with Ukraine? I think I mentioned this in the podcast tomorrow. Um, it's just wars and rumors of wars. All, what it is is destabilizing uh, the Middle East and, and really preparing preparing the Middle East and, and all of Europe. I didn't mean to say Middle East. I meant to say Europe, destabilizing Europe, really the whole world in all kinds of ways. Uh, finances at some point are going to come unglued and uh, the whole world is going to change its uh, finances. Uh, uh, the United States is going to change theirs as well. May It may... Uh, may go into the digital U.S. dollar. They may call it something else. I'm not sure. But there are, and I don't have time to talk about all this, but there are things behind the scenes happening very, very rapidly. They're going from a banking system that has been used for many, many years to a a digital banking system. And I don't want to get into the weeds and talk about it, but that's happening right now. People are being trained right now to make that happen. So that's all part of the process. It's all part of the world going towards all the world combining together. And that's where the Antichrist comes in and steps into that system. So don't let any of that scare you. What we should have our eyes on is Jesus is coming back. And before we go up in the rapture, whatever your scheme of things is, and whenever you think that's going to happen, before we go, he wants us to take as many people with us as we can. Yes or no? So, so what we don't need to do is, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Let me, oh, let me, let, let me, uh, let me find a place to go where nobody can find me. Let me help me. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. No. No, he said occupy. That word occupy means trade. That means go about life as you've normally been going about life until he tells you to do something different, really, until the rapture of the church occurs. Uh, Jesus said, in, and I mentioned it the other Sunday, Luke 17, be like the days of Noah. People will be marrying, giving in marriage. They'll be working, taking their kids to school before Jesus comes back. He just said, get ready, stay ready, be ready. And uh, don't quit doing life the way you normally do it. So, you know, we understand the signs of the times that Jesus is coming back. I'm not afraid at all, uh, but I am preparing for a volatile time. And I am looking for, uh, listen, you, you ought to have a list of people you're praying for to come to Jesus. Because if, uh, if they don't come to Jesus, hell, hello on wheels is landing on planet Earth. And it's probably the most of it's going to happen after the rapture of the church. And, and there's not a living soul that you know that want to be here during that time. How many hear me? I know everybody's like, oh, yeah, right, I heard that before. Well, just keep hearing because it's going to happen. And, uh, so I'm getting ready. Anyway, that was all free. So that's where we are. And so let me get, I've got some questions that I didn't finish um, last time. 
I only got half of them done, and so we're going to do another conversation with Pastor. My goal is to preach the word on Wednesday nights, but really put some teeth into what I'm talking about on Sundays. So, so here's some questions that came in I never finished last Wednesday night. So here's another one. Can I go right into this? And if you've got questions about stuff, get them ready. I don't see the microphone up here. Oh, you look at you. Y'all are ready. So let's see how far we go, and I'll try to make it as quick as possible. Number five, here's a person that uh, asked, uh, said, I can memorize scripture and quote it a lot. Well, I'm glad you quote, memorize scripture. Woo, put a star on your head. That's good. But I still, here's what he said, but I, or her, I don't know, but I still feel afraid of what's coming. Hmm. So here's a person that memorizes scripture, but they still have those feelings of fear. I would say anxiety because of the world's changing so rapidly. Does this mean the word is not real to me? So, so all of us have to deal with this. We, all of us have to learn to put spiritual things first. And just because you can quote scripture doesn't mean you're putting spiritual things first. Right? Or just because you listen, come to church on Sundays and hear me preaching, maybe you read your Bible every morning, that doesn't mean that you're putting spiritual f- things first. Where the rubber meets the road where the rubber meets the road is when somebody does you wrong, instead of flipping them off or, or giving them a potty mouth, you know what I mean by all that. Maybe if you don't know, that's probably better. But instead of doing all that, uh, you go buy them lunch or you give them a little gift card. Say, God bless you. Because the Bible says, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who don't treat you right. Is that correct? So, you know, are you doing the word? So again, uh, we can memorize the word, quote the word, but we got to be willing to, do the word. To do that, you got to be willing to put put the word first, um, the word first, the Holy Spirit second, and feelings last. Don't put the Holy Spirit first in your life. See how quiet? See how, listen to that. You should not put the Holy Spirit first place. Wow. Now, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling y'all. I need to say that again. I just got bogged down. You cannot put the Holy Spirit, (gasps) you about to hyperventilate. (gasps) You can't put the, no. If you put, try to put the Holy Spirit first, you're gonna get off into falseness and deception. There is a voice similar to God's voice that's demons and not the Holy Spirit. Now I really feel it. Did you hear me? I mean, the devil came to Eve and said, I talked about it Sunday, first service. You're not going to die. You're going to live a long time if you eat that fruit, and you're going to be like God. See, the devil's voice, it can sound like God's voice. How do you differentiate? You don't differentiate by saying, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm really after you. I'm putting you first place. If you do that, you will be a deceived person. I have, listen, I have never, ever put the Holy Spirit first place. If y'all could see what I'm seeing, y'all looking at me? Uh Uh-uh, no. What I put first, the Word. You don't know the Holy Spirit unless you know the Word. He's the Spirit of truth. And you don't know what's chatting with you on the inside, what senses you have, unless, unless it's agreeing with the word. The Holy Spirit agrees with the word. Now, the devil can quote the word. He'll give you a portion of the word, but he twists and contorts. And you got to make sure what you're hearing agrees with the whole counsel of God. 
you know, not just some isolated something taken out of its setting. How many get what I just said? So you got to be really careful with that one. So again, memorizing scripture is good, but again, you got to be willing to put it into practice. And I can be a deceived person if I hear the word, and that's what James and James 1 said. If all I do is hear the word, but I don't put it into practice, I'm a self-deceived, self-deluded person because I'm like a person that sees his visage in a mirror and then I go and forgot what I look like. He says, you got to put it into practice. When I put God's word into practice, I'm training my conscience to obey God. If all I do is come to church and hear the pastor or read some stuff on, in the morning for devotions and, um, and, and don't put the word into practice and don't put it first place, I'm not training myself to be God-oriented, Word-oriented, and Holy Spirit-oriented. Does that make sense? So that takes a period of time to do that. And then let me say this. The mind does not like to cede control of you to, to, to your spirit nature. How do I put my spirit nature first place? We are spirit, soul, and body. Our spiritual nature is a part of us that contacts God, and it's where the Holy Spirit is. So how do I know if I'm putting my spirit first place in my life? Not my mind and not my body. How do I know I'm putting my spirit first place? I'm putting spiritual things first place when I put the word first place. And spiritual things have nothing to do with feelings. So the person's question here, but I still feel afraid of what is coming. Does this mean the word is not real to me? No, it just means that your feelings may still be stronger than your spirit nature and the sense that you have from God on the inside of you. That's your spiritual nature. Your spiritual nature, if you'll fill that person up with the word and, and you act on God's word in every circumstance, you can hone yourself on the inside to be more word-oriented than feeling-oriented. Does that make sense? Is that too far to go? Listen to Romans 8, 5. Those living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, to be carnally minded or the mind of the flesh is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind or the mind of the flesh, the mind set on feelings and outward things is hostile to God for it's not subject, this is, um, anyway, is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So my natural mind wants to keep, wants to keep in charge of my, of my person, of my life, and I've got to be willing to lay my thoughts and feelings aside when they disagree with the word. When my thoughts and feelings tell me God doesn't love me, I got to be willing to say, oh, yes, he does, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, Right? Got to be willing to say that. When my thoughts and feelings tell me nobody like, likes me, that's not true. That's a lie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, we've got to learn to face our fears. Second Timothy 1, 7, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And then you've got to act like that's true. So, you know, a lot of times I do stuff scared. I mean, just afraid, just feel it. Just keep moving that direction. I'm okay. Second Corinthians 4, 18, why we look not at the things we see or feel. But the things that are not seen or not felt, the things that are seen or temporary, things that are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by feelings. So, you know, ask yourself the question tonight, am I, am I more of a feeling-oriented person? Do I go by my thoughts and feelings or am I a word-based person? A word-based person potentially can be a Holy Spirit-led person. Yes or no? Yes or no? So let me start 
finish where I start. Don't put the Holy Spirit first. You'll be deceived. Put the word first. The Holy Spirit will witness with the word. Does that make sense? So anyway, uh, that was all free. I didn't mean to say a bit. I didn't even have that here to say. Wow. Number, here's another question. What can we do to help people? And y'all be thinking, if you got questions, I'll see if I can get done a little early. Uh, what can we do to help people? Or even ourselves, everything seems so hopeless at this point because the world is changing. I think that's the context of the person's question. I know the devil loses in the end, but it seems he's having his way right now because, I mean, everything's coming unglued worldwide. It's weird. It's a weird sense. What is it? What do you do? Well, um, what can we do to help people? Well, we can share Jesus with them. We can pray for them. We can encourage them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. So Galatians 6 says this, verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing, uh, while doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. So he said, don't stop doing good. That means don't stop being kind to people, being nice to people. You know, helping people, encouraging people, praying with people. That's how can we encourage, how can we help people? Well, that's, uh, that's what we can do. That's what we can get to do to help people. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Verse 24, Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So when you get up in the morning, uh, do what Smith Wigglesworth did. He said, God, he said, God lead me to the person closest to hell because he was an evangelist and he was always wanting to share Jesus with somebody. Uh, Isaiah 50 verse four says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. So I've been praying that for many years, Lord. Uh, as, as I start my day today, lead me and make me a blessing to someone else. Help me to be an encouragement to someone that is discouraged. Someone is discouraged, the courage has been removed. It's like, it's like the wind's out of their sails. It's like they got a big hit on the back and they lost their, they lost their wind. So, you know, help them out. That's, that's a great thing that all of us should be all about. Number set, another question, this is actually number seven. I started with five. Or uh, here's another question. When the stuff hits the fan, yeah. Uh, how will we be a light in darkness if everyone's staying at home? I, I hadn't read anywhere that everybody's going to stay at home. I mean, Jesus said it's going to be like the days of Noah, like the days of Lot. They were partying in the days of Lot. And uh, they had no idea that, you know, the meteorite's going to hit and, and knock all their lights out. Uh, and same way with Noah up to the day that, you know, God shut the door of the ark. They were, they were laughing and joking at Noah because he's building a boat on dry land. But they quit laughing pretty quickly. So, you know, nobody's, I don't think everybody's going to be staying at home. So I'd say this, resist the tendency to hide. How many get that? And then go out and just let your light shine. Just be who you are, smile. You know. Well, how can you help people? Well, you can email people that are not nearby in other cities, other states, other places in the world. You can email people. You can text people. I text people. I hope you're doing good. Just had you on my heart. Been praying for you. I have people that actually text me. I've got pastor friends text me and say, well, you're on my mind. I pray for you today. I'll text them back. Man, I needed that. Thank you. That just, that just helps to know somebody's thinking about you, doesn't it? 
So email, text, Facebook. Yeah, get on Facebook. You know, if you've, I don't do much on Facebook right now, but when I do, if you've noticed, I put a scripture on there. Why? Because that's going to encourage the mess out of you. And I know it will. It stir you up. And I've got all people say that. People all the time say, yeah, that's right. Like that. Good. Needed that. Uh, whatever. So Facebook, Instagram, just share the word. Pray for people. When you're around, somebody's looking gloomy, just say, can I pray for you for 10 seconds and just pray quickly? And, and God will do something big in their life, right? So again, you know, don't stay home. Bless people. Help people. Uh, the next question, number eight, what's the best way uh, to memorize scripture? That's a good question, isn't it? But y'all aren't saying a word. Hang on, I'm looking for something. I hit the wrong button. Here we are. So uh, let's just practice this. We're going to memorize a scripture right now. Here's how you do it. This is <laughs> it's Romans 8.38. I love this. All right, I want you to say it out loud with me. For I am persuaded. Say it again. For I am persuaded. Say it again. For I Say it again. For I am persuaded that neither the death nor life. Say it again. That neither death nor life. Now say it all together. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Come on, say it again. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Say it again. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Say it again, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. All right, neither angels nor principalities or powers. Say it, neither angels nor principalities nor powers. Say it again, neither angels nor principalities nor powers. Neither angels nor principalities for, or powers. Let's say it all together, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor, neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Say it again, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Say it again, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Then the next part is uh, neither height, uh, I'm sorry, neither things present, nor things to come. Say it, neither things present, nor things to come. Come on, neither things nor things to say it again, neither things nor things to come. Say it again, neither things present nor things to come. Say it again, neither things present nor things to come. Now say it all together, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. Look at that, you gotta have other done. That's all of verse 38. Uh, all right, let's do the next one. Neither height nor depth. Say it again, neither height nor depth. Say it again, neither height nor depth. Come on, say it again, neither height nor depth. Let's say it all. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height nor depth. Look, you're doing good, look at you. Nor any other created thing. Say it again, for neither any other created thing nor any other created thing, nor any other, say it two more times, nor, one more time. Now say it together, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
is shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Say it again. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Say it again. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Say it again. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Say it again. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Say it all together. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is in Christ Jesus our, come on. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now all together, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor, nor, nor height, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in, give yourself a hand. Isn't that good? Come on now. You need to sing your song, brother, at the end. That's how you do it. I've been doing that a long time. That'll, That'll save you hide right there. That's all I can say. Yes, it will. Uh, in the circum, and I said that last week. So here's, I got two more and I'm done. Uh, how do you suggest we prepare for the future? In parenthesis, it says extra food, water food, etc. If our spouse or family is not in agreement, thinking we're either a conspiracy theory believer or we're walking in fear. So somebody says, man, what you doing, dude? You really believe the world's coming unglued and things going to get hard? You really think you need to, you know, save up some food and do all that stuff? Well, I do, yeah. Well, I don't think so. We ain't going to do it. I'm not going to. So how do you deal? The question is, how do you deal with that? Well, just have some conversation uh, based on what I know from Scripture and then the, the events that we're in. It looks really uncanny. There's an uncanny parallel. So it would be wise, just like in Noah's day, Noah got ready for the flood that was coming. And uh, Joseph got ready for, in his day, for the famine that was coming. Just seems like it would be a while. And they laugh, might laugh at you or whatever. That's fine. Well, just keep talking to them, praying for them. And then maybe if you're at the grocery store, you got you to gotta get a thing of salt, get two. You know, you gotta, you're getting some uh, pasta, get two. You know, you're getting, uh, you, you're getting whatever, get two cans of beans. Or if you're getting two cans, get four. And, you know, just get extra. Just get some extra staple goods. And just put them aside a little bit at a time. You can do that and say, well, well, what if somebody calls me? They can call you whatever they want to call you and think you're cuckoo and crazy. That's okay. So, you know, the issue is grocery store shelves. Things are changing. Um, I've just read a lot of recent that the supply chain is is, uh, having challenges because of the Ukrainian thing. Uh, They're shutting. I've said, I think I said it Sunday, they're shutting down uh, wheat exports in several nations. Um, I think... um, uh, Russia has a percentage, I forgot what the percentage was, of worldwide wheat exports. Uh, other um, precious metals are, um, uh, are, are being stopped from being exported from Ukraine and Russia necessary for uh, the um, tech industry, and that's going to create all kinds. So, I mean, a word to the wise should be sufficient. I mean, just plan ahead. Uh, me, I'm, I'm making plans in all kinds of ways. And uh, I think it's a wise thing to do. Uh, Let's see. 
Most, I say this, most people are not preparing for any kind of disruption. Most people live hand to mouth and don't really prepare much. That's what Americans do, but we need to be as at least as smart as ants. Would you agree? Um, and, and then a lot of people, and you'll deal with this in your families, if all you do, I got to say this, I mean, if all you do is watch the mainstream news, you don't have a clue as to what's really going on. I don't know how else, to, I'm trying to be nice. You just don't have an idea. And what that does, it's, it's smoke and mirrors as to what's going on behind the scenes. It really is. And, and um, it's uh, crazy. All of them are saying exactly the same thing. Uh, you hear me tell you what bothers me? A person that doesn't have the intellectual curiosity to check things out and see if they're right or not. That's a good question to ask yourself. Do I have the intellectual curiosity to research? Well, no, I'm too busy. I'll let the news do it for me. Well, then you'll be a deceived person. And you'll so see no need to do anything because case of Rasa whatever will be, will be, and I'll just keep moving. No. Well, anyway, so um, but be as smart as an ant. Proverbs 6, 6, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I didn't say that, he did. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways to become wise. Though they have no prince or governor, ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? Will you wake up? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit or problems and want and lack and need may. Uh, like a bandit, scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So again, the idea is just to be wise as an ant. Ants prepare in the summer for the winter months when there's no, nothing growing. Um, now here's another question. It's the last one I have. Please share how to overcome normalcy bias. It seems hard to do when we have no experience in dealing with what's probably coming, especially for Americans. So here's the definition for normalcy. Everybody say normal. Now say normal C. So a normal C bias. What is that? This is directly from the dictionary. A cognitive bias which leads people to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings. Let me say it again. A cognitive bias which leads people to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings. Consequently, individuals underestimate the likelihood of a disaster when it might affect them and its potential adverse effects. Let me read it again. Consequently, individuals underestimate the likelihood of a disaster when it might affect them and its potential adverse effects. The normalcy bias causes many people not to adequately prepare for natural disasters, pandemics, and calamities caused by human error. Did you hear that? So uh, about 70% of people report reportedly display normalcy bias during a disaster. So I have a strong normalcy bias. I do. It's really strong. Um, and I've said this for a long time. I have an ability to do the same thing for a long, long period of time. It's the reason I pastor a church. I, I'm, I, you could trust me. I, I, now, you might not know you can, but I know you can because I know me. And, and I'm just an extremely unusually stable personality I have feelings and emotions and all that but they are they're they're way underneath I feel stuff and all but I just keep moving even when I'm tired that's just me 
So I, have a, so I call that a normalcy bias. A good part about it is it keeps you really stable. You're a family stabilizer. They can really trust you on your job. You can hold the place together when challenges come. And that's a really, really good thing to have as a person who has a strong normalcy bias. But the weak part of having a strong normalcy bias is in the world as a whole, if things really begin to change and come unglued at the seams, so to speak, you have a tendency not to believe it. Now, that's me. I'm so strong going one direction that, you know, when things really start changing, it takes me a while to really get it. It just does. And and really, it always has. So I just have to tell you that I have been, over the last two, three years, I've been unusually challenged personally trying to overcome my normalcy bias. The question was how to overcome normalcy bias. Me, I just kick it in the head. I say, you know, I'm feeling... So so here's what happens. I feel like, let me just say several years ago, I started having a thought every single day that would not leave me alone. And nobody said this to me. I just had an inward impression. I need some extra food for my family. I just need some extra. And I don't, I don't understand that. At the time, I thought everything's normal, everything's fine. But I just, every day I get up and I kept this, this thought kept coming. You need to buy some, some extra staple food, you know, in case you go to the grocery store one day and there's no food there, get you some. And, and I mean, y'all, for weeks and weeks and weeks, it never left me alone every day. So I, I you know, I put some money together and, and, uh, and I bought some extra food. Now I've bought, bought it several times and I've got a, got a supply. Um, and then re- within the last month, I've done some things I've never done before. I've done some things financially. I've done some things uh, anyway that I've never done before. If you want the details, come and see me when I'm not talking to that camera right there. And I'll tell you what I'm doing. But uh, I'm not kidding. I have impressions inside. And every time I follow my inward impressions, if I'm a doer of the word, putting the word first in my life, and the Holy Spirit's activated my, in my life because I'm putting God's word first place and I'm not just hearing it, but I'm putting it into practice. Now, how many know he's going to talk to me and he's going to talk to you? If you put the word in your life, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will tell you about things to come. So if you're acting on the word, being a doer of the word, not just listening, Holy Spirit's going to rise up and say this, 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 this. Well, he's been, he's been doing that to me and and, you know, honestly, it's really hard for me. Mm. I'm going to do something tomorrow I've never done before. What is it? I'll never tell you right here. You'll have to get me by myself. <laughs> and then I might not. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the way it is. So, they see, the Lord will speak to you is what I'm saying. And so the normalcy by the way I overcome it is I just, I just keep knocking it, hitting it. I do things, I do it, I do it uncomfortably. I do it while my mind's telling me, you're, you're just a big fool. Why are you doing this? That's just dumb. I'll just do it anyway because I had an inward impression. That's how I overcome a normalcy bias. And the, the more you keep going against the norm that you've always done because of something on the inside, then the easier it is. Does that make sense? So normalcy bias, again, found in Scripture, 2 Peter 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For all this they willingly forget. 
And, and I'll re- let you read the rest of that. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That is a normalcy bias. That's it. That's it. You just think things are going to continue infinitum the way they've been going. Well, um, ask, ask the people uh, during the Great Depression. Ask my, my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, ask people who were alive during World War II when things changed. Um, yeah. Ask people that were alive during the Vietnam conflict and their, uh, their sons had to go to war and they were drafted. Ask them how the normals, how they dealt with normalcy bias. See, so again, we're living in a, a real strange time. That that um, here's the impression I have inside: uh, things are escalating. Um, some are slow, some are um, more advanced, quicker. Uh, but I have a sense that one day, you just may get up, and the world will be a different place to live in. So you know, I, I don't say that to be afraid. See, that just tempers me, and I'm, I want to listen to the voice of God, and I want to overcome that tendency not to prepare. Does that make sense? And that's, I'll be, it's been extremely, extremely hard for me. I'll just say it. So anyway, that's what I do to deal with it. So um, anyway, that's all the, um, that's all the, that's all the um, questions I have. Anybody got? Oh, got one right in the back. Okay. We've got a question that came in Sunday. You said that God is not in control of everything. Check. Yet he knows the end from the beginning. Check. If what God has planned for the world and his kingdom will come here and his will will eventuate, is this not God being in control of everything? Uh, yes, he is. He's, he is. So let me say this. Ultimately, he is in control and he has a plan and purpose for all things. And that's what the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ is. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of, of how things are going to eventually pan out. And, and go, we go, we go uh, and the book of Revelation is all about God wiping his enemies off the earth and judging them and then taking care of his people the way he promised and then loving them the way a bridegroom loves his bride and then, and then preparing the new heavens and new earth and then we go into eternity in Revelation chapter 22. Having said that, we're in a period of time right now that um, you could use several adjectives to describe Satan, a usurper. That is, he's taken a place that didn't belong to him. He's taken authority that weren't his. So in the general overall scheme, yes. God is in control of an overall scheme, but the bigger question is, is he in control of you on a daily basis and what happens to you under the umbrella of that great big scheme. So got to factor into the great big scheme of God taking care of and has a plan for everything that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy and that we're in a war and that in a war you have individual skirmishes and battles in various ways and in a war there are casualties and there are those that are damaged in war. We're in a war. We're in a battle. We have casualties of war. We're, we have those that that, um, you know, enemy takes advantage of. And that's what I was talking about Sunday. Uh, the enemy has a legal right to be here. And I'll talk about this this coming Sunday, so make sure you tune in or be here. Uh, he has a legal right to do what he's doing. He has a legal right to take the authority God gave Adam and Eve, and I, I'll get into the weeds of it Sunday, 
and, uh, and take that and twist it and contort it and try to ruin human life. And that's the reason. And God can't intervene. Watch this. See, God can't intervene in an individual situation even though he's got the umbrella of the scheme in place in an individual situation right now. He can't intervene unless a person gives him permission because God gave Adam and Eve authority over this planet to take care of it. And that authority, that, and, and so God basically said, this is yours. You name the animals, you name the bugs, you name the, name the flowers and trees and stuff. I'm backing up. You take care of this place. It's your domain. I'm backing up. That, what does that mean? Well, in the background, I mean, God's still overseeing the universe. He's got the sun in place, this, the uh, planets in place, and, you know, their gravitational effects are doing things on our planet, and it's moving around, and we have days and years and seasons and such. Well, God's overarchingly over in charge, but, but daily he gave it to Adam and Eve. And so when Adam and Eve gave that authority away, well, Satan got it because they obeyed him, and that authority that God gave them was bequeathed to the entity they obeyed, and that was Satan. He automatically got their authority. And that's why, and I'll talk about it Sunday, he's the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, uh, uh, John 14, 30, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and other passages are similar, that he has a legal right to be here. Not, not necessarily a moral right because he lied to get here, but he has a legal right. And God has to recognize the legal right that Satan has to be here and so God can't just override him unless some human gives him permission. Now, here's the good news is when Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm stealing my thunder from Sunday, he became the representative man. He became the last Adam, became the second Adam, or I should say second Adam, last Adam. Jesus is the first man since Adam and Eve sinned, born in relationship with God, born out of jurisdiction of Satan's uh, regime. And so when Jesus died and rose from the dead and said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, he took the authority that God originally gave Adam, but Satan uh, took from them, dispossessed from them, when they obeyed him, Jesus grabbed the keys of hell and death, Revelation 1.18 from Satan, and he rose from the dead as the representative new creation man, new creation human, uh, the, the, the human who has the same authority that Adam had before he sinned. And so he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All authority is given unto me. Phew, I give it to you. Now what you gonna do with it? You get it? Therefore, if we pray and say, devil, you're not doing that, then, then he can't. Having said that, there are some things you can play till you, pray till you're blue, green, chartreuse, whatever, and it's still going to, Antichrist still going to reveal himself because it's, because it's there. Uh, the prophets have said it's going to happen. There's some things you can't pray away. But in individualized things where the enemy's trying to come and put a sickness on someone or someone or he's trying to, you know, take someone's life or or he's trying to steal everything they have and make them a pauper, et cetera, et cetera. 
those kinds of individualized things or he's oppressing someone. You can take the authority that God has given you in Christ and pray for that person. You can stand for yourself. You can stand for your family. You can stand for your children as long as they're with you because you have authority in your realm. How many understand what I just said? You don't have necessary, you have more authority in your, in your immediate family than anywhere else in the world. So, so that means for me in my household, I have authority over my household. When my household included my four children, I had authority over them. But once they came of age, they grew up, they moved away, they got married, they have their own families. Now they have children. I don't have the authority there. I once had, now they have authority. And if they don't do something, then I can pray for them, but it's a whole lot better if they do it themselves. I mean, they might get some abrasions and cuts because I don't have all the authority I used to have over their lives. How many hear me? But if they'll exercise authority, then they can keep the devil off of their mess. Now, I pray for them every day. I pray for, you don't know how I pray for you. I mean, Lord, have mercy. But you need to pray for you and believe God. Does that make sense? So my thesis Sunday was, a lot of people think God's got it all sewed up. God's will's always happening. And my idea is no, God's will doesn't always happen in the minute details of life. Overarchingly, of course it'll come to pass. But in the minute details in the middle you of every day, not always, unless somebody's praying. And then factor into that, that God's got a lot of people all over the world and people that don't even know your name. And, and he could say, Holy Spirit, go to such and such in South Africa or go to such and such in, uh, in Thailand, go to such and such in India, go to such and such in Europe or Russia or what, and have them pray because they're ready right now and, and they'll listen to, they'll listen, uh, Holy Spirit go, and stir them up to pray. And they could pray for you because you were too sleepy that day to pray. Or you were just chilling. And, and didn't want to take the time. So sometimes God covers your backside out of his grace. Is that good news? So don't think it's so tied up and tight that, you know, God's got people everywhere. I can tell you my mother. Now, you know what now? Hi, mom. You're watching. She gets people's, she, she has words of knowledge, and she really don't even know what, she has no idea what it is, no idea. But she gets people's names in prayer. And, and I'm just having conversations. Sometimes I'll say, Mom, you've been praying for, and I'll name a name. She said, well, yeah, three days ago. I said, well, well, God bless you. Look at that. And she's already got the thing prayed out. Most all my family members, when they have problems, she already knows it. If I ever have problems, she already knows. I say, don't tell me. Let God, let God deal with me. But I'm just saying she's a microcosm of how many people like her are there worldwide. My mother gets up in the middle of the night and prays. She gets up in the morning and prays. Now, I'm not tooting her horn. I'm just telling her that God has people like her. She'll get up in the wee hours of the morning and pray from, I don't know, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock and come and eat some breakfast, go back to her room. I don't see her a lot. I'm telling you, do I like that? No. But she'll stay in her room and pray. And she might be praying for my soul. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> She'll pray from breakfast all the way to lunchtime, come out and eat. I can tell you, you can set the clock on what time she eats lunch. Eats her lunch, goes back to her room. She'll pray and all, do stuff rest of the afternoon. Come back and eat so I can tell you what time she eats supper. She never eats it with me. I want her to, but she's doing this. And then she goes to bed early because she knows she's going to get up in the wee hours of the morning and pray. Now, now, how many people worldwide are doing that? There's a few. 
So God's got special forces that he can count on. That when he wakes them up at night and says pray and they don't know what it is, they tear tear it up. And the devil hates them because he can't do any stinking thing about it. Isn't that awesome? So, So take what I said, but take all this and factor it in. God's big. He's amazing. Having said that, if you get your little lazy self and don't pray and you expecting somebody else, what happens at the time that they couldn't pray because they had to go to the bathroom 15 times that day? Right? So, so don't count on somebody. Do it yourself. That's my, that's my encouragement. Does that make sense? Is that balanced enough? Okay. Wow. Anything else? Ask a question. You got some? Did you have a question? Colin? You did? Wait, wait, let him get, and this is it because I got to go, see? Uh, He told me before service he had one. This is not the question I've got for you after service, but this is a question that came to my mind. Speaking about helping people, Uh I heard a phrase recently that says, you can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Do you think there's any truth to that statement? I just say if you live to put other people ahead of you, two things happen. There's a lot of things that you thought you want that you don't even care about. (laughs) That's just the way it is. God changes your desires. When you seek first the kingdom of God, he changes you on the inside. So the things you think you had to have, things you want, it just ain't the same. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even the same person now I was three years ago. No. Some things just don't matter anymore. Because when you seek him and he fills you up inside, that stuff you thought you had to have, why did I think I had to have that? I don't need that. I just need him. So, you know, does that make sense? Does that make sense? So, so in that sense, if you go help somebody else and you take care of them, God always takes care of you. You see, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Job, Job's a classic example. Job lost his, his wealth, his family, his wealth was in his land and his crops, his cattle, lost his marriage, lost everything. And, uh, and you know, even, even got sick. In Job 42.10, you've heard me say it dozens of times, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So things turned in Job's life when he took his eyes off of his problems, his thoughts, his feelings, his difficulties and put his eyes on others and he prayed for them instead of putting himself first he put others first and that's to me it's a principle of life it's just what I mentioned tonight given it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down shaken together running over so if I'll befriend someone else God will give me a friend if I'll show mercy to someone else God will show me mercy if I if I'll show help and aid to someone else God will give his aid and help to me it's just the way life works so I've often heard it said that uh, boy I've heard this all my Christian life since the 70s, and I never, when I first heard this, thought, you're crazy, that's not true. Uh, they would say, you've never seen a true intercessor 
that is a needy person. All of their needs are always met because God sees to it. And I think over the decades of my life, I have to say, it's true. I mean, you seek God, he, he will seek you. <laughs> you seek God, woo, you want God seeking you because you become, you become the apple of his eye and you become, because you've made it that way, you've become the object of his affection. And there's nobody that knows God whose needs are not met. Not that you don't have problems because sometimes the closer you get to God, the more the enemy attacks. But where sin abounds, grace does much more abound.